to Connecting Citizens to Science, a podcast from the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine about engaging communities in global health research. I'm Kim Ozano. And I'm Bea Eggard. And throughout this series, we'll be talking to researchers from around the world, exploring how they connect with people to address a range of challenges in global health. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the Connecting Citizens to Science podcast. And in this series, we have been focusing on tuberculosis. This is part two of episode four, where we have been talking to guests, Mohammed and Charles, who have been discussing the intersections between COVID-19 and tuberculosis and how both lung health conditions informed each other and will shape the future of lung health. Thank you. Rona, I'll hand back to you to continue the conversation. So, Mohammed, how has the COVID pandemic affected the TB response? I know that... Um, the Global Fund has been very um, instrumental and active, you know, in, in, in um, the responses. So how has the COVID pandemic affected the TB response over the last two years? Very good question. Um, yeah, unfortunately, um, COVID affected TB disproportionately. Um, I'm saying disproportionately because of the similarities in the, um, uh, in the symptoms and the response. Um, most of the TB resource, including human resource, the lab uh, personnel, the lab equipment, in some places, even the hospitals, the TB, that's like in Philippines as well. And, um, and everything shifted to COVID uh, response. Uh, because the, the TB um, response or the TB programs are very close to COVID, and uh, most of the, uh, the specialists are pulmonologists uh, and the lab, the first one were a gene expert, which we have been using for TB. And, um, and the people are ready, the contact tracing was there, and so uh, the programs, countries use this uh, group of ready people and uh, uh, tools and resources to COVID, resp- COVID response, because this was uh, um, the, the pandemic and then uh, attention everywhere. Um, and the lockdown uh, restriction of movement means that people have no access and uh, this contributes to drop in an overall uh, TB notification globally of more than 20% reduction in 2020 compared to 2019. In, in, in some countries, including in Philippines, actually the drop was dramatic and very huge. Uh, and, uh, and people are uh, uh, struggling to access the basic TB uh, treatment um, so they can travel and access. That's why they need to engage the communities and private sectors for them to take their medicine and provide more people-centered uh, treatment approach where a patient could receive treatment for uh, multiple uh, months. This had been happening. Otherwise, TB, uh, COVID really affected overall a TB response and overall TB uh, mortality increase. And uh, it's been global fund for the first time we started to see uh, results uh, uh, for TB, HIV and malaria start to decline after many years of successful non uh, implementation of these programs. And so that, that's why it overall a TB uh, uh, program implementation suffered a lot due to COVID. Uh, um, and those are reflected already in the number of uh, uh, diagnosis and treatment. Uh, this would also contribute to increase the number of 
increased pool of people with TB that contributes to ongoing transmission. The transmission could happen at home. People are probably not moving, uh, but this would uh, contribute to increased TB incident in the future. But the TB mortality already increased in 2020 compared to 2019, for example, already 1.5 million people died of TB in 2020. So that's, that's the situation and TB is really affected by COVID. And the Global Fund, uh, in addition to what uh, we have been supporting as part of a TB grant, uh, we have this COVID response mechanism where countries receive additional funding for COVID response, including mitigation of the impact of COVID on the three diseases, including TB. That really contributes to building a capacity in countries and uh, uh, building confidence of the health workers to uh, treat and uh, improving access to basic uh, essential uh, TB service. And that has been prioritized to countries which are most affected by COVID and affected by uh, disruption of uh, TB due to COVID. And that's what we have been doing during the last two years. And we see a quick recovery in some of the countries where the commitment uh, from the government and other uh, in-country stakeholders is strong. We see a quick recovery in case, TB case notification. Uh, others are actually showing a gradual increase in notification and improved treatment outcome. That's what we start to see now at this very uh, by regions and by countries as well. I have seen few countries which uh, have been having a resilience in, in TB response and uh, we didn't see dramatic reduction in those countries, especially in Africa, where, where, where the overall uh, uh, pandemic uh, was not uh, as high as in, in, in Asia, for example. So that's what we see in Global Fund and what uh, we have been supporting countries to address both TB and COVID of course, HIV, malaria as well, and at the same time, uh, build a resilient system for health so that they will be prepared for any future pandemic, which could affect our investment, our support to TB, HIV, and malaria. Over. Yeah, thank you, Mohammed. That's really good to know that there's, you know, recovery uh, beginning to happen because, you know, from the World Health Organization's Global TB report of last year, uh, you know, we learned that one million more people had died from, you know, TB in 2020. The year that the, you know, the pandemic was really at its, uh, at its peak, and it it was depressing to know that lots of gains, you know, uh, that had been made over the years had been lost or were were, were getting lost. So to hear some stories about recovery is really. Um, um, exciting and, and bringing back hope. But I'll come back to you, Charles, and, and, and say, you know, we have all these people with lived experience of TB and lung health con uh, conditions. So we learned what the science and, and the research had fed into the COVID response. But what, you know, how have these people with lived experience of TB and lung conditions also informed, you know, the responses, if at all? Well, I can cite a clear example. In one of the projects I was talking about using community workers uh, to actually cheat MDR, the, the bad uh, version of the TB, many of these uh, volunteers were actually previous TB patients. And would you believe that in the course of being dedicated to this project, they developed COVID uh, uh, out of maybe four dozen of them, maybe 20% of them developed COVID. 
Uh, one of them uh, had to resign because he couldn't take it anymore, the, all the, the stress. But one who was actually the, the MDR, uh, uh, previously uh, treated patient, persevered. And I, I actually wondered, why you stay? You, you develop a moderate to severe COVID, yet you stayed with the program. And uh, I was touched by his, his comment. He said that if, if we were gone, who else would take our place? No one was already uh, uh, volunteering because of the lockdowns. They were afraid of both COVID and TB. And if uh, all the volunteers in the in the the project left, what would happen? And the the nice thing is, would you believe during the pandemic our compliance rates actually increased to 88 percent when normally our programmatic uh, compliance rates is only 50 to 60. With the use of the digital tools, with the use of uh, Facebook Messenger and Viber and uh, all these other uh, social media apps, they, they communicated and, uh, and maintained the morale of the MDR patients to continue their at least nine months of regimen. So that's, that's one of the take that um, uh, uh, there's a saying that uh, something that does not kill us makes us stronger. So in the case of these patients who had previously TB or even severe lung disease, gotten COVID, you wouldn't expect them to continue. They didn't have to. But I think the, 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 the crisis uh, actually spurred heroism that the world doesn't actually even realize was happening. The, the scientists uh, really should get the credit. But the little people who continued the work in many of the projects. And uh, the sad story is we had to shut down our TB services for six months. Uh, we are uh, neighbors to the largest TB facility of the RITM Research Institute for Tropical Medicine and the National TB Reference Lab. They had to convert all the TB facilities into COVID facilities. Imagine the thousands, we are one of the largest provider of services in our province. Thousands uh, could not get access to TB care or had delayed access to TB care precisely because there was no facility, and that contributed to the to the increased number, I suppose, of deaths and uh, loss of cases. I think a editorial in the New England just this year pointed to four countries that were particularly hit, the Philippines being one of them. And so we really have to double our efforts. And as I said, we need to learn the lessons from the crisis of COVID and make ourselves stronger and that TB efforts and advocacy efforts even better. Thanks, Charles. I think what I'm hearing from, you know, the conversations here, you know, I'm, I'm really asking about lessons from the TB, you know, community feeding into COVID. But I think there's a lot of reverse learning, you know, that would also strengthen the TB response. Lots of things we have learned from the COVID, you know, pandemic uh, response that would also strengthen, you know, um, the, the TB response. And, and so staying with you uh, a little bit more, Charles, what does this then mean, you know, um, in terms of engaging communities and people in shaping lung health approaches? And I think I'll want to hear from you, Mohammed, as well about this. What is it, you know, what we have learned, what we have seen, what does this mean in terms of engaging communities and people in shaping lung health approaches? First to you, Charles. Well, I, I'm not from the government, so I hope I will be forgiven for some of these next comments. We, everywhere in the world, there were interagency and uh, whole of government or whole of society approach. 
But I think the latter was not followed, the whole of society. We had to get more feedback from the people who were severely affected by the lockdowns and all the policies that we were implementing. In our case, our government gave what they call in Tagalog ayuda, handouts of food and money to try to tie them over. But it, it, it had to be more than that. I think what was, although we now have a successful program, what was lacking at the very beginning was more interaction with the vulnerable communities, especially the very poor communities that were affected by both TB and COVID. In the Philippines, it was a phenomenon where the first wave of COVID were only relatively rich people who are coming from abroad, coming from vacation. And then the second wave hit everyone, and particularly the poor was hit by Omicron and the Delta. So we saw the deaths changing in terms of profile. And in each of those waves, I think, looking back, I think we could have gotten more feedback from the people being affected by all the policies. In fact, this was the complaint. Yes, the, we have to do this. Yes, we had to shut the economy. But what about the mental health of the people, the stress that they had to undergo, and all the challenges because they were locked down in their homes? And many of the poor had no access at all to anything. So this was something that had to be learned fast and, 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 and the government adapted. When they shut it down, they didn't think about transporting health workers to our hospitals to man the laboratories. We couldn't man our TB and COVID labs because there was no transport for many of our workers who did not have their own cars. Okay, so that had to be quickly uh, volunteered uh, by private sector, and then government quickly followed after. Or then we established homes or uh, facilities for people to sleep because their families and communities refused to accept them because they were in a COVID lab or in a COVID hospital. So the stigma was even worse than uh, working with TB. So the, 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 the parents refused their children or the young people, uh, the, uh, the other relatives refused to accept them in their homes. So they didn't live in their homes for months until the, 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 the waves uh, subsided. These are the untold stories of many people. And while we are praised for being frontliners and uh, for all the science that has developed, there are unsung heroes that, whose stories were never and will never be told. And so I'm narrating that, that story because I know of many who sacrificed even their lives so that this, this pandemic would be defeated. Thanks, Charles. And I'm sure our listeners will really relate to some of those stories. Some people have experienced exactly what you're talking about. Unfortunately, like you say, some of these stories, you know, that have big lessons for us, you know, will remain untold. But hopefully there's a lot that will also be told like you, you, you are doing right now. Mohammed, what does this all mean? You know, when we say, you know, we are engaging communities and people in shaping how we approach lung health, what does this all mean now for us? Yeah, thanks, thanks. Um, uh, when we talk about lung health, we are, we are talking about uh, airborne disease as well. Um, of course, there are, there are lung health beyond air, airborne disease. But when we talk about airborne disease, we all breathe the same air. So it, it's not really about public, private, community, and so on. We share that air. And if that, if, if that air is affected by something, that's, uh, everyone will be sharing. That, so that's why 
Uh, we need that uh, joint response, accountability, and partnership. Everyone should work together, especially uh, on issues related to, to, to lung health and, uh, and the pandemic for TB and COVID. Um, for, for us as a global fund, we always work with the communities and people affected by the disease. Um, and these are along the global fund process, including in the development of funding requests, including as part of the governance in the countries, we call it uh, 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 CCM, uh, that's a uh, uh, coordination mechanism in the countries. Uh, civil society communities, affected people should be part of that. And they are involved in, in development of policies and so on, and the implementation as well. Uh, so that's what what we promoted as shared responsibility, not just responsibility, but also uh, receive uh, a capacity building component and funding as well to implement uh, programs and also involved in monitoring of the, the public uh, service as well. And that's where I would consider Global Fund is probably an opportunity to promote that engagement of people and communities in implementation of the programs. And I hope this will be part of uh, the implementation of research projects as well to really listen to the community people, what do they really want to, to have. Otherwise, as part of uh, the program implementation design, the communities and, uh, and people are uh, part of it, and we have internal mechanism to mon to monitor whether that uh, countries are really complying with that those requirements, and uh, and uh, those people also receive support, including financial uh, support to implement programs. So it's more of a joint uh, implementation when it comes to land. It is more about uh, sharing available resource as well. It's, it's not really about uh, private and public or community and so on. Uh, everyone should be engaged, especially in, in pandemic where uh, we need to uh, make sure that there is alternative ways of providing uh, service to the community. That's where private sector and the communities would be critical. As formal uh, hospitals and uh, health centers and may not be even operational in lockdown and restricted situation and the Communities would be an alternative way of ensuring people receive, at least continue receiving their treatment. This is fantastic. Thank you, Mohammed. And thank you so much. Um, lots of lessons, lots of questions that I still have here. But I'll hear from Charles and then I'll hand you back to Kim, uh, who will help us uh, wrap this up with a few lessons from you. Charles. I think one of the differences between the TB and the COVID uh, responses or the, the issues was the power of the patient advocates in TB. Uh, the civil societies were very powerful in the country coordinating mechanisms of the Global Fund to the advocacy of new drugs and even diagnostics. Uh, they played a very powerful role in advocacy and in the new tools that have developed. In the pandemic, sad to say, you didn't see the civil societies. In the Philippines, it was the private sector who was actually playing a role. While government uh, is used to a certain system, which is kind of slow, so it took a long time for them to ramp up their efforts, whether it's setting up COVID laboratories to the purchase of vaccines. It was actually the private sector who, was, who rose to the occasion 
to actually pool their resources to try to get some of these facilities going, including donation of diagnostics, uh, that kits, tests, uh, even uh, uh, PPEs and protective devices for, for the health frontliners, and then eventually even the vaccines. So uh, this is, I think, uh, feeding on what were the best in TB and HIV and contributing it to uh, moving forward in what uh, the COVID is. This won't be the last pandemic. And uh, I guess we should really be ready for a next one. And uh, it may be worse than this one. So I'm not trying to alarm the public, but uh, uh, it, it took a great effort of the world to actually put our act together. And we should all be thankful, but how many people died? How many people suffered? How many, some of my colleagues, or my best friends died? So uh, my, my mother-in-law, uh, who I've been taking care of for 12 years, bedridden, died because I believe the vaccine did not arrive on time. And that will be my, my eternal regret, despite my trying to help even uh, local and uh, national government. So, uh, Yes, we, we are winning the war, but at what cost? Yeah, thanks, Charles. And I, I, I do believe that sometimes we have to be uh, very blunt and critical, you know, of, of, of what we're doing if we're going to move forward. So, yes, um, harnessing these lessons and bringing them with us to the next pandemic, uh, which might inevitably, you know, not, not be a, a far-fetched idea. Um, is something that we have to think about. But at this point, I'll take us back to Kim. Uh, Kim, I'll give you Mohammed and Charles so you can get those lessons that we can walk away with uh, before we let our experts go off. Back to you, Kim. Thank you very much, Rona. And thank you to our guests. I've learned so much already. We'd like to end the episode by asking you what one piece of advice would you give to others working in the field of TB and COVID moving forward? Mohammed, let's start with you. Yeah, thanks very much. Um, maybe more, one, one, one more point on, on pandemic preparedness. And uh, um, I hope it will not be as, uh, um, uh, as dangerous as pandemic, uh, COVID, the next <laughs> pandemic, but it will probably be uh, uh, airborne. Uh, infection or disease. So I, I think that's where uh, countries need to really build their, their, their system. Uh, and we have seen how even um, developed countries, uh, the health system is not really ready to those massive pandemics and uh, scrambling you know, to, to provide the basic treatment. So um, for Global Fund, we have now this pandemic preparedness as part of our new strategy. Uh, so that you know there will be resilience going forward to at least uh, to be prepared. Uh, I think that that would be very important. Otherwise, we'll be uh, you know addressing some of the epidemics and uh, endemic diseases unless we really build uh, the system, including the community system. Uh, we'll not be ready to really um, um, to to address any any future pandemics. Uh, for research and development, um, yes, I, I, I think it's a very good lessons learned from uh, COVID. Um, and uh, it, it's a deployment and the interest and the investment for COVID diagnosis, treatment, prevention, really amazing. And um, we shouldn't forget about other diseases. Tuberculosis uh, 
after 10 million people every year kills 1.5 million every year. And we know that over 1.8 billion people already infected by TB bacilli. But we don't have effective uh, or, or, or good tools and, uh, and diagnosis and treatment. We don't have point of care diagnosis and we don't have vaccine yet. So what I'm, I would say that any research and development in the future should really engage the communities and people, understand the, their need as well. Once these tools are developed, we need to make sure as a global community, make sure that people access to those basic and uh, innovative new tools, diagnosis, treatment, and vaccines. It's really unacceptable to see people dying of uh, a disease which is preventable and the vaccine available and some are really uh, keeping uh, piling vaccines uh, for, for, for next two, three years. Others are really struggling to get, you know, for, for, for few of their high risk population. So I think we need to ensure we do have that moral and uh, we need to invest on accessing those basic diagnostic treatment service as well. I think that would be critical and we learn it already from COVID. In the future, we shouldn't really let uh, the same situation happen for, for other uh, infection. For TB, we shouldn't forget TB and I think the advocacy should continue. TB has been with us for many years and probably will continue with uh, affecting many people for uh, many years unless really uh, put all our efforts together and invest more and bring more new tools for diagnosis, treatment, and prevention. We look forward to that to happen and uh, more resources are needed for research and development as well, but then more resources are, uh, are needed for operational implementation and uh, improve uptake of those uh, new tools and innovations. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, a really comprehensive answer there into how we should look forward to um, preparing for future pandemics and also managing the, the, the ones that are ongoing. Charles, I think you can wrap us up. What last piece of advice would you like to say to our listeners when we think about TB and COVID moving forward? One is uh, I, uh, the lessons learned when we interacted with the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine TB people, Ewan, um, Bertie Squire, uh, Ivor Langley. You need to have mutual respect. And beyond that, you need to develop friends among researchers. That went a long way to improving the work that we did in the working environment. And second and most important advice I'd give to researchers engaged in communities, listen to them. Uh, get away your PhDs, your professorships, your so-called global expert uh, uh, opinion of yourself. Humble yourself because we learned a lot but from the most unlearned people in the field. If you learn to respect the people you wish to do research with and you wish to serve, listen to them. Do not discount what they are saying. That is the lesson of 30 years of work in advocacy, clinical practice, and research. Wonderful way to end this episode. And thank you very, very much for, for that comment. And I think it's really, really important. And for our listeners, our, we have a supplementary episode to this TB series where we're going to be talking to two people with lived experience of TB to understand their perspective. 
So I was really pleased to hear from both of you that experts are one thing, but let's hear from people on the ground. And we're, we're hoping to do that in the next episode. So I have learned so much. Thank you to our guests and to Rona, our wonderful co-host. Thank you very much. And we will see you listeners soon. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.